You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, C.C. Broadus. Okay, welcome to the latest edition of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm joined by Alan Schneider. Hello, everyone. How are you doing, guys? And Brandon Jaggers. Happy holidays, everybody. All right. So, uh, guys, our, our, our guest uh, on the pod today really needs no introduction, uh, especially if you bet horse racing. Uh, he hails from Cleveland, and he joined the staff of the Thoroughbred Times, uh, one of my favorite uh, publications, uh, in 2002, and later became uh, an editor of, of the Thoroughbred Times. Uh, later on, in 2011, he joined Brisnet in a media and communications role and eventually became a member of the Churchill Downs simulcast team as he's uh, on your TV giving out winners and, and analysis between races uh, at that historic track. Right now, he dishes out selections from his living room at Turfway Park during its current, current winter meet, and we're very pleased to have him join us today. We'd like to welcome Ed DeRosa to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. Ed, how's it going? It's going well. Pleased to be here and glad the Auxiliary Gate lives on after Churchill retired its one. <laughs> well, I could, say, that. <laughs> I could say for sure all three of us need to be put out to pasture. That's for sure. Uh, damn straight. <laughs> so, uh, that mean Ed, your gel- go ahead. I was going to say, does that mean you're geldings if you're out to pasture? Well, I'm, I'm, wife, a nickel. So. I'm a nickel claimer for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ed, so you're a, you're a Cleveland native. Uh, give us uh, a brief biography growing up in Cleveland, going to Thistledown with your grandfather. How, how did how was uh, how was your early life as a young gambler? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because now we're you know we're all of the age, but you know people breaking into the game. That the younger people I talk to, in some cases mentor, etc., uh, they don't really remember a time uh, where there wasn't full card simulcasting. And now we're even getting into the period with the teenagers and stuff. Don't even remember a time when you couldn't bet on your phone. Uh, but growing up in the 80s in Cleveland, there was no simulcasting whatsoever, other than occasionally Thistledown would add a marquee race to its live card, and you could bet on it with the other people at the track. So, like, the Derby would be the 10th race on a nine-race card, and it would be a separate pool, and you would, you know, bet on it at, at Thistledown. But other than that, if you wanted to get down on a horse at Saratoga, you needed a bookie. If you wanted to get down on a horse at Santa Anita, you needed a bookie. And my grandfather was one of those bookies and uh, would tag along with him to the racetrack. And uh, I never really understood until I was older why he never wanted the favorite to win or why he never <laughs> wanted the, the Browns to win. And that's because, you know, of course, that was his biggest liability uh, was the favorite in the hometown team. So I uh, got that education a little later in life. But, uh, you know, in the 80s growing up, you know, young, four, five, six, seven years old. It was just all about tagging along with my grandpa. And uh, the thing that really drew me into racing, I, I can still remember it now. And Thistledown used to get four or 5,000 uh, a day. Uh, and that was actually more than the Indians drew sometimes because uh, they wow. were terrible in the late 80s. Yeah, I'd look at the box score and, you know, they Yo, had 4,000 4, at Old Municipal Stadium. And, you know, Thistle would have 4,500 that day. Uh, but I'll just never forget falling in love with the, the roar of the crowd when the horses cheered for home. Uh, it's just, it's nothing like it. It's definitely what I miss. One of the things I miss most about lower attendance on a day-to-day basis. Uh, but when you're there for the big days or there at a track that actually gets a crowd, it's it's still as electrifying as ever. And, uh, you know, as much as I love ADW, I work for one. There's just never going to re- be a replacement for that experience when the crowd goes wild. Any chance you were there in 1987 for the Ohio Derby when a horse named Lost Code uh, went wire to wire? That, were you old enough to remember a horse like that? Uh, you know, I, I, w- I wasn't there, number one. And in, in fact, my first graded stakes wasn't until I went to Saratoga in 1998 and saw Middlesex Drive win the Hall of Fame. Because uh, my, my grandpa would avoid the, the big, big days uh, just because he needed access to a phone. Um, you know, all the, all the things, uh, that right out of central casting for a bookie. So he'd, he'd avoid the big <laughs> days. Uh, and I actually never went to a Derby at Thistledown. 
uh, always watched on TV and, and the first horses I remember are easy goer and Sunday silence. So lost, lost code. And, and I think broad brush was 88, something like that. I, I unfortunately missed that excitement. Yeah. Lost code is probably an all time favorite. 1987 was probably the year I really got into the sport. And I remember lost code. He was on the ESPN and they broadcast the, uh, the Ohio Derby with Chris Lincoln and Dave Johnson and, the, and those guys. And uh, yeah, I really fell in love with that horse, but he, he, he did come through uh, the tour came through thistle down that year. Uh, Ed, uh, tell us about Cleveland. That's on my short list of places. <laughs> I've never been there. And I want to go see the rock and roll hall of fame. What else, what else could you recommend in Cleveland? Man, I, I really do miss it. Uh, I've lived in Columbus, uh, for several years and, and I've done the Cincinnati thing, uh, when I was there with my son. And Cleveland is is definitely, uh, I mean, I'm proud to say I'm from there. And, you know, I I think a lot of states are this way, but Cleveland is a lot more like Buffalo, Erie, and Pittsburgh and Wheeling than it is Mm -hmm. Columbus or Cincinnati. Uh, You know, I definitely identify a lot more with people from Buffalo and Pittsburgh than I do Cincinnati, but still a Bucs fan. But more to your point, I I definitely think Cleveland's a great place uh, to be from or to visit the Rock Hall. I was kind of skeptical when I first went like uh, another, you know, they built a tourist trap. It, it's super cool. And I'm sure with all the advancement and technology, it's gotten even better. Uh, obviously, you know, Thistledown's fun to visit Northfield park. Uh, you know, the, the racetracks are fun, the, the major league sports, but for me, without a doubt, uh, I'm most proud, you know, being from Cleveland of touting the food, uh, it's so it, it's very it's a diverse town. There's Polish, Eastern European, Jewish, Italian uh, and all the good food that comes with it can be found in Cleveland. It kills me that I, I can't find pierogies here in Louisville other than the frozen food section. Uh, I definitely miss those when it comes to Lent. And for my, you know, any Catholics living who live in Louisville listening, uh, our fish fries here are better than what Lexington has. But man, it, it was a culture shock to come down here from from Cleveland and Columbus. Uh, what passes for a fish fry here is is embarrassing. So uh, I, I would agree. I, I wish I had the wherewithal to improve it uh, at the parishes uh, around me. But you know, just only do so much, guys. But uh, yeah, Cleveland's great. Great food. Uh, the, you know, the people are wonderful. Just that kind of you know Rust Belt Steel City mentality, and uh, I miss it. I like to get into food a little bit later. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, how did you wind up here in Kentucky? Yeah, I, mo- uh, I moved for the Thoroughbred Times job. And, and it's funny, if you know, I, I don't know if I've ever discussed this, like in print where people would remember seeing it. But uh, I was working at State Farm. Uh, it was my first job out of college. I was a speech writer for the executives and ghost writer. You know, I'd pen their State Farm big company at a magazine. And, you know, the executives would write write stuff in there that was actually, you know, my writing and, and the people I worked with. And I had a blog back then, uh, 2001, and, and that was kind of taboo. I don't know how long you guys have been online or immersed in sort of, you know, the blog and precursors to social media. But my Twitter persona definitely uh, is born out of being very comfortable sharing things online. And I had a blog and, and I definitely, you know, talked about what I wanted to talk about, including work and got in some trouble over that. And I was so scared I was going to lose my job. I started, I looked for jobs. They called me into HR and said, you need to go home and delete these posts, et cetera. And I wasn't looking. I was very happy there. But after that, I was concerned. And there was a job opening at Thoroughbred Times. And if I hadn't been called on the carpet at State Farm, I can't imagine I ever would have took the plunge and moved to Lexington. But one of those made lemon, made lemonade out of lemons that day and uh, never looked so, back and have been here since uh, May 2002. So it was a blessing then. That was a blessing in disguise, right? That was a big blessing. Yeah. And I mean, just to, to think that ultimately led to working for Churchill Downs, uh, which, you know, is, is you guys know and others, I take a lot of pride in that. And it, it's a company that certainly takes its lumps among our peers and other racing fans, but I can only speak to the work I do and those I'm close to like Joe Christofek and Scott Shapiro. And, uh, I, you know, I know how much we love racing and to, to be a part of Churchill and to try to get them to love it a little more is something I take really seriously. And yeah, w- without a doubt, the chain of events 
that led me here started with uh, getting in trouble over a blog. <laughs> Amazing. You know we love Churchill, Ed. You know we yeah. love it. <laughs> I know, yeah. And uh, uh, I'll you know, defend Churchill. Yeah, uh... We can all admit it's false, like with any company or family. Uh, you know, I mean, I love my mom to death, but, you know, there's going to be going to be some things that rankle me and likewise with her and you know the the churchill family is similar and and you you know and anywhere in race i think that's one of racing's biggest faults is uh some of the people in charge just refuse refuse to think that their way might not be working and unfortunately we all suffer because of it true well because it's a publicly traded company, though, too, it's done great on the stock price. So I'm like very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I do the, think they should have a, more a of a believer. dividend, but other than that. Yeah, the, the dividends uh, got stingy compared to some others and only annual. But uh, I, I think we hit 208 today and it dropped maybe a, a point or two or a dollar or two from that. But yeah, we're, uh, we're, yeah. we're going strong. It's still growing. That's why they don't pay the dividend. That's why they're still investing. I think, uh, you know, there's more to come out of Churchill. That's for sure. I would think so. That, I mean, no debt is just so huge in, in this economy. So it's a lot of leverage. So, Ed, uh, would you call this your dream job, what you're doing right now? Uh, I would, which, uh, you know, just on a on a personal level, I, I do kind of struggle because, you know, it's kind of what I've been doing since I started there. So it, it, admittedly, there's, you know, there's been times where I'm like, man, I'd really like the opportunity to have, a, you know, maybe a little more say or manage a specific project. But I mean, on the other hand, getting, especially when live racing is going on, getting to drive to Churchill Downs and, and that's work um, is a tremendous privilege. And, uh, you know, th this is definitely uh, the, the dream to be a part of it. So let, let's talk about your handicapping prowess. So what, what are your strengths as a handicapper? Uh, I think my biggest strength is bringing to the, the table just sort of the probability aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm extremely big on picking the winner isn't remotely what, what's important. And, you know, certain races, maybe there's a little extra mustard on that. We all want to have the Derby winner. We all want to have a, you know, $50 horse on top every now and then. Uh, I, I get there are certain aspects of my job as a public handicapper where we're picking the winner has a premium to it. As a better, though, I, I really wish more people understood that in a particular race, there's a 100% chance of a horse winning. 100%. I mean, unless it's a no contest, they call the race off. The horse is going to win and going to pay out based on its odds. And the important thing is to bet the overlays and picking the winner means nothing. If you're all over a horse who's four to five, that you thought it should have been two to one, you shouldn't be all over the horse. Uh, and I think not enough people that try to take this seriously don't make that leap. That in the long run, you're better off picking a number on the roulette wheel that's going to pay you 40 to one than you are taking four to five on green or black, or excuse me, red or black. And you are it, correct. It just, it just seems like more people take that why add the winner and takeout doesn't matter if you lose and just, you know, all sorts of sort of those cliche sayings. So, you know, I think my handicapping is as good as the next guy. Um, and my betting is probably worse than the next guy, depending on who I'm sitting next to. But to me, without a doubt, the, the most important thing is, is hammering what you think is value. And if you're at all proficient, you, you pretty much know a good favorite and a bad favorite and a horse who's worth 10 to one, you know, when they're 15 to one. So that's an overlay. Like I don't think a lot separates peer to peer, those type of decision it's putting into action and not making losing wagers. So when you deduce this down to one common denominator, do you, uh, I mean, is there a certain wager you will focus on when you find the right horse? I mean, is it just a straight win wager or, or you try to leverage that into a pick three or a pick four play? How do you, uh, how do you manage your, your, uh, your money in these types of plays? Yeah, I, I do think my style is best applied to win wagering. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the D gen in me likes to chase the big payoff, uh, the <laughs> ego in me, 
likes to say I had a big pick five and brag about it. Uh, so those are definitely leaks in, in my, in my game. Uh, you know, if I really were, you know, God forbid lost my job and thought, man, I wonder if I can make it as a, as a pro better right now, I would actually say no, because you can't let ego dictate your wager type and, and you can't let hubris, you know, steer you away from what is the, the better play. Cause you know, you'd rather tout yourself. Um, you know, just being honest with myself and you guys and the listeners, that's, that's not the way to be a winning player long-term. Now, is it more fun uh, when you do hit that $10,000 bet and you, you show the screenshot to your buddies? Yeah, that's very gratifying and it's a nice rush, but uh, is, is, you know, maybe you've seen, um, you know, I release my ROI every year. Um, yes, you do. Yes, you and, do. And, and talk about it. And that's my wagering ROI. That's not like top picks or anything, which I do keep track of at Churchill. Churchill but, but. Uh, I'm looking to win long-term and uh, I've certainly improved on some of these leaks. Uh, wagering wise, for sure. I've, you know, pretty much completely eliminated place and show wagering. Um, what, what you pay and take out plus the breakage for the money I bet that I am looking to profit on. It's you're just, you're, you're burning money. Um, you know, I understand why people are looking for a fun day at the track, bet across the board, or and show parlays are a blast. Definitely not saying there's not room for fun, but you know, if I identify a horse I think is value at 14 to one, you know, I thought, man, this horse should be eight to one. 14 to one's a good price, or even you know where I really sink my teeth into like a classic empire situation, where I think this horse should be even money and he's two to one. Uh, your, your opinion is two to one to win and not to place or show and right. you're giving up equity when other, you have no control over who's second or third. Um, obviously there's exceptions with the bridge jumpers and things like that. But when talking about an opinion on who will win, win betting is unquestionably the math supports this. Uh, the professional players support this. It's, you know, just win only, um, you know, unless you're doing exotics and things and there's room for that too. But um, yeah, I, I would say if I were really taking this seriously, I, I, or I do take it seriously. If I were looking to genuinely turn this into income, I'm counting on one of the biggest adjustments I would have to make is more of my bankroll to win wagers. Hey, Ed, if I, when, yeah. when you make your ahead, bets, are, are you supplemented or getting a stipend from an employer or a sponsor to help play as actively as you play just curious. uh no uh, and in fact as an employee your of churchill, yeah as an employee of churchill i cannot uh get rebates or anything through twin spires um so that yeah that the money i bet is my money now the i will say the exception is bet shares that i put together um from the twin spires account there's like a dummy account we have that we can do bet shares um that is not my money but if i share a bet if i you know when it says this is ed's pick five i have placed that bet myself as well which is a, a great and fun thing for all of us to get to yeah do uh, it's so bet share is fantastic it is i can't say enough about it i i'll tell you what ed i've gotten people in my family and friends into wagering in these bigger tickets because of the bets, not just Brandon and, and CC, but other people who are just, they're scared to make the bet. They're scared to invest that kind of money. They know they're not going to hit much. They have someone pick out a ticket and invest the money. And I've, you've gotten a lot of new fans on my side from the, but I think the bets are awesome. one of the greatest innovations. Yeah. And I, uh, I speak very highly of it. And my, my friends outside of these guys that you're talking to would also, uh, would also say that. So I'm a big fan of the bet share. I think it's, Good. I think it's one of the great things to get people more involved in racing, quite frankly. And while, while I got you here, I want to talk about that ROI thing for a second. I've, I've long given you credit, maybe not online or whatever, but I've given you credit because you do mention your ROI at the end of the year and you keep track, but that's something I have a, a bit of a sticking point with me where a lot of uh, guys who give out picks don't do that or whatever. I want to give you credit for that. I, I wish more guys did that, quite frankly. Uh, so you, the, the, the person who is making the investment based on no, no kind of knows what they're getting into and stuff. So is that important to you to put that out there? Yeah, I, I, I mean, basically for the reasons you said, I think, uh, and, and I know for a fact 
people bet my picks, Joe's picks, Candace's, Serling's. I mean, you name it. There's people out there betting them blind. And, uh, you know, that needs to be taken seriously. And like you said, they need to they need to know what they're they're getting into. And, uh, you know, obviously with with Churchill, the work there, there is at times an emphasis on, you know, top picks and, you know, are you giving good information. Uh, so, you know, I do keep track of Churchill. I don't keep track of every grid I put out. Um, I try. I'm a grid guy, just, too, it, buddy. I'm a grid guy. <laughs> it just got <laughs> cumbersome. But, uh, yeah, you know, the ROI, to me, that's that's the arbiter. We're, you know, just like you can make excuses for horses who didn't win, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's about winning, and that's what pays the bills. And uh, for me, that's the the scoreboard. And, uh, you know, people people should know. I mean, similar to to the previous question, uh, is it my own money? And, and yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I play my own money. Obviously, I get a paycheck from from Churchill Downs to, to do various things, but, um, you know, my, my bets are with my money and, uh, I'd love to win as I think most of us do. And it's fun. Uh, it, it stings. Uh, you know, I, I mean, there was, I think my best year to date, uh, you know, since I've been keeping track and, and betting what I would, you know, consider real money to most people, uh, I was minus 3% ROI, which, you know, it's beats the takeout. That, that, yeah, yeah. Beats the takeout. And if, if I were getting a rebate, I, I probably would have been ahead for the year or very, very close to it. Um, so, you know, I'm reaching. Last year was terrible. I think I was like negative 25%, which is, you know, re- really bad. Um, and, you know, there's going to be years like those. Uh, but ideally, we're, we're playing to win. And I'm, I'm very close this year. Uh, I think after this fairgrounds pick five, I actually may have may have dipped into the negative but uh you know unless i go on tilt and lose thousands of dollars in the next few days <laughs> uh will be my best year to date so uh and and part of that just goes back to you know that podcast i do with beam and the blog i write and you know really daily just taking stock of my decisions and i don't know if any of you guys play poker or i do know, play it <laughs> oh seriously. yeah uh, i used I mean, to I, yeah, I love the. I, I don't. I just. I can't understand why racing never embraced the type of discussion there is in poker groups and on the uh, Andrew Nimi. I'm a big fan of uh, who actually came to the Derby last year. But I, I love that you know there's hand breakdowns and and you can talk about a hand that even if you won, people will still rip you for how you played it. And you know <laughs> they'll, they'll they'll come with earnest criticism. <laughs> And it, it just makes everyone a better player. And in racing, for whatever Great reason, point. Great point. Th- there is such reticence in racing. Like, I mean, I, I love the guy to death and, and the work he puts in. And he's a great handicapper and better. But, uh, you know, Joe likes the, the ladder bets. And, you know, I've tried to tell him, like, place and show is, is just. And his point is for his, the audience at Churchill, casual group, it, it's fun. And I see where he's coming from. It, I do too. You know, I do too. You, you put in 248, you know, which is 14 bucks, and your horse shows, and you get 20 back on an $8 show bet, or maybe 30 if it was a price, and they are thrilled. I mean, you, you would think they scratched off a $100 winner at the gas station counter. So I understand providing that excitement for them on a relatively small bet with low risk, but long-term just placing it's, it's terrible. It's literally the, the worst bets you can make outside of the jackpot stuff. And, you know, to me, it's just important to, to try to, you know, get people to, to understand that. And, but in, in racing, you, you just, pe- people are, are stuck on it. Whereas in, whereas in poker, you know, if, if you make a bad play, you're going to hear about it. Alan and you know, I were talking about yeah. this uh, before uh, before you came on, Ed. Uh, uh, the, your rival network, I guess you could say, or, or one of Churchill's rivals, always promotes what we consider really, really poor pick four and pick five tickets, and they don't. And we, you know, we were talking about it. why wouldn't they why wouldn't they recommend more you know across the board bets or more churn wagers stuff like that. Alan even tweeted about this a few days ago. Uh, Alan, I mean. Uh, Talk about that for a little bit. Uh, you know, share your feelings with Ed about how uh, how those type of wagers well, are, are shared. It, it, it's a sticking point with me in general, and it always has been. I, I, I've not, 
I'm not a fan of uh, networks giving out just random con- continuous pick four, pick five, pick six plays that tracks across the country. To me, you should know your circuit before you do something like that anyway. But because I, I, I don't, if you're if you're going to ask these people to get into this stuff, you need to put some thought into it. You got to kind of know what you're doing. You got to have some sort of. And I'm not saying that these guys don't or whatever, but what I like that you guys do at, at Twin Spires and at Churchill Downs is you go a little different, a little different avenue. You do the favorite I'm against, the horse I really like throughout the day. I wish, I wish some of these, some of these outlets would do more of that type stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think uh, and Joe. Uh, you know, well, Joe does. Well, Joe does that is type great. of graphic. Yes. Yeah, and uh, you know we're all happy to be a part of it, and I like it. I mean, I, it obviously gives you very actionable information. Okay, long shot probably worth a bet near that price. Best bet of the day worth a bet near the price. Uh, favorite I'm against is you know they're all actionable. Yeah, and when you when you have to do every race and you're expected to do these tickets for every day, um, and they have a target amount too. Like you know we we do a single six ticket every day, but it's at you your watch, track. It's at you'll your notice track. <laughs> it's at our track, and yeah, that's okay. Sometimes my ticket's eighteen bucks. I mean, if I don't like the right. sequence, I'll tell you who I like the most, and you can add your horses or not. Whereas other days, that. my ticket might be one hundred eighty because man, I really, you know, this is my ticket. I like this, and you know, then you can wager accordingly. And you know, some people just copy it, which uh, for the single six works okay at Churchill because we have the the better takeout. Obviously, I wouldn't recommend that, you know, if I were given a ticket at Gulfstream, but you can use it for the pick five or whatever. Anyway, uh, that to me is like the biggest issue. Not only you're you're making these guys and gals give a ticket at every track they cover, which some of them aren't going to be their circuit, as you said, but there's also always sort of a target price that they're trying to hit. And then you're you're kind of feeding into that. Well, here's my budget for the day, which is good. You should always have a budget, what you're willing to lose. But you should never approach your budget like, okay, well, I have fifty dollars for this yes. bet and ten dollars for these races, and and I feel like it sort of breeds that habit as well. So that's sort of another negative. A lot of people don't talk about. And then just to put it bluntly, ninety percent of the tickets are just terrible. Uh, <laughs> and and is you know you and and inside the pylons is is a frequent uh, critic as well. Uh, it, it's just so obvious to me. And it wasn't before. I mean, I, I did need it pointed out, so I, I understand why others need it pointed out too. But the fear of losing, for whatever reason, is so strong. People are literally playing pick four and pick five tickets that can chalk out. Yes. And it's fine if you hammer that, but if you're four by three by four by three and you can have the favorite in all four races, it, it's just terrible. It's absolutely it unacceptable and and it goes back to the poker thing people don't listen like they just won't see the obvious reason you're telling them two plus two is four and they want to argue that it's five yeah i i just wish that some of these networks and i think you guys do a pretty good job of it is you know what if you see that sequence when that sequence comes up you know what maybe i'll skip it maybe i'll maybe this is the race where i play the superfecta maybe this maybe this race is calling to me to play the double Maybe this race is calling me that I should skip the damn race. You know, I, I kind of wish I kind of wish we'd get more into that or whatever. You know, I mean, every sequence is different. Every sequence calls out, uh, you know, it, to me, the sequence calls out to me how it should be played or whatever. And I, I just don't like lazy tickets thrown together like that. Cause I think a lot of people don't know any better. So, I'm, yeah, that, that's just well, that, you know, the, it's gambling is. A lot of psychological elements. Uh, I'm a big proponent. Um, I, I think I saw a thread, maybe it was New Year's Day or New Year's Day. That would be a good memory. Uh, Christmas Day or thereabouts. But, you know, people were talking about books to read in racing. And sort of the Mavericky book I mentioned that I don't see on a lot of lists. But I think Sklansky's Theory of Poker is a must for anyone taking racing seriously because it touches on so many ideas of exploiting the paramutual uh, style of betting that poker is on a different scale than racing because it's, you know, limited to the table and, and each hand. But a, a lot of the ideas of how to extract value from your opponents are very applicable to racing from poker. And uh, that's a book when, you know, yeah, what should I read? 
you know, Chris is great buyer. I mean, you're going to, you're going to learn stuff for sure and extract some ideas maybe, but to me, theory of poker um, more than any other book kind of, kind of took my thought process of process of what it means to play paramutual to the next level. I've got a uh, philosophy question for you that we've talked about this a whole lot. If you're down to the last leg of a pick four or pick five, and maybe you've got, 10 horses in the race, you've got six of them covered. Maybe payoff is like $800,000, $1,200, something like that. Do you, will you uh, hedge to the other four runners? I absolutely will not. Um, I knew he'd say that. <laughs> I, I understand it. why he says it too. I think, uh, I think every bet you make should be on an overlay. And I, I'm as guilty as anyone. I mean, I mean, you look at my tickets and say, well, wait a minute, you have, three favorites on a pick four, um, you know, and, and some of that you're at the mercy of the, the ticket I have to give out. We don't do multiple tickets. That's definitely something I, I want to bring to bet share in the next, you know, oh, version 2.0 is sounds great. Group, group tickets, um, you know, group tickets that you can share because when you're limited to one, you kind of fall into that yeah. trap of why well, I, I definitely want this horse covered. Yeah. The caveman. And caveman's great when you're leaving favorites off, but it, it gets expensive and, and minus EV quick when, you know, you're grouping them all together. Uh, but as for head, I just, I feel like you should always be focused on betting overlays and occasionally you will get to the last leg and, you know, for whatever reason you, you left a horse off or maybe more information you, you've just watched, you know, you're in the early pick five and you're live, but you just watched all four horses go gate to wire and it's clear no one's making up ground and oh crap I don't have you know the speed horse in this race you know I I thought maybe he wasn't good enough but I don't have him here he's 15 to 1 I completely understand making a a win bet in that situation or, or you know whatever you think is appropriate but locking in profit so to speak uh is is just you're you're betting underlays and long term uh, that eats at your bankroll. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's that balance of people do do this for fun. And if they're at the track once a week and it's just going to add to their excitement and the likelihood that they return and the churn, if they hedge their bets and lock in 600 bucks instead of a chance at winning, you know, three, 4,000, I get it. And I think entertainment has to factor into your decision when you're playing like that. But if you're like me and tell everyone that you're committed to beat, beating this game and showing a positive ROI for the year, uh, you, you can't you can't hedge. I mean, that's it's just you're, you're betting underlays. There's you know, and, and this weekend there was, uh, you know, I saw people going after Ellis from Equibase a little bit. And, and I agreed like he came out and said he, he likes a horse a little bit at you know, it was a decent price, but he's not going to use them in the pick four. And to me, any horse you think's an overlay, if it fits exactly. the budget and makes sense, why yes. why would you not use the horse? Yeah, that's a great point. I, right. I, I completely agree. <laughs> uh, so to me, hedging's kind of the reverse of that. You've you've already made your decision, and you you clearly left the horses off for a reason. Um, but the the tote board does provide new information. Uh, you know, we, we've all seen it. I mean, morning lines stink pretty much everywhere. And if you thought, man, I'm going to try to beat this horse, he's two to one and you know, he's 10 to one and you liked him a little bit, you don't have him. Yeah. Make a win bet. Uh, To me, that's not hedging. Hedging is knowingly betting an underlay to lock in some fixed amount. Right. Whereas, whereas a, Making a new wager separate from your pick N or you know whatever it may be is is a new wager, and that that's part of beating the game too is adapting to information and being available you know to to take advantage of those opportunities. Ed, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Brisnet. Uh, we're all big fans of Brisnet. Uh, that what they bring to the table as far as uh, or what Twin Spires does for for its betters. Uh, you know, you get free pass performances just for making a bet at the track that you get past performances from and whatnot. I want to ask you Love about it. a couple. They, they got a lot of tools with Brisnet that you can use uh, when you're 
playing the races. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about uh, Prime Power ratings. Without giving away the secret recipe, I, I've always been a fan of Prime Power ratings. But what what goes into that? Or can you explain? Yeah, so it's pretty much uh, everything in the Ultimate PPs is somehow uh, incorporated into the calculation. And uh, the, the two things Brisnet does, and, and I don't know the balance of it, but as in what means more if it's 50-50, but it basically ranks horses. So, you know, you have your speed ratings, 90, the next one's 88, so they would be 1-2 on ranking. And then it also takes into in into uh, account the gap, so that's a two point gap, and then maybe it's a four point gap down to the next horse. And it looks at you know the speed ratings, the pace ratings, you know all these different things. It's crunching trainer stats, and it, it sort of does that ranking um, as well as the gap, and crunches all that together, and somehow comes up with prime power. And the the, the reason I like prime power a lot is a uh it, it's it's effective uh it beats the takeout uh flat bet win uh pretty much anywhere over any sample and occasionally as i've tweeted for turfway park uh can show flat bet profit period over shorter term uh, long term everyone catches up but uh it, it's a great number and i think what makes it so good is it's completely based on the competition in the race it, it, you know it, it's calculating that number based on who's in the race and right. the horse scratches, um, the, the, the numbers change and it's not huge, but I use the always software. Um, and when you can scratch a horse out, uh, when it crunches the numbers and it'll re recompute the prime power occasionally helpful, but yeah, to, to me, the prime power, the fact that it's, it's relative to the horses in the race and the conditions of that race, uh, is, is what makes it so much better as like a singular data point. Um, you know, it's tough to lean on it race to race is the only thing you would use, but I am very comfortable. And this, this kind of speaks to the conversation Alan had uh, that, you know, other people jumped in and, and talked about uh, people who kind of just regurgitate stuff in the form, which we can all see. And I agree with that. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons I love working with Joe and Scott is they can't complement my style. I'm very black and white with the numbers. They're they're very uh, persnickety note takers and watching replays, and they bring that to you know the show. Whereas I offer more the, admittedly reading the PPs, but I, I do try to bring that probability style to it. Where I'm saying, hey, this horse does stick out, but do you really want six to five? I don't even think he wins this race a third of the time, so he's actually a bad bet. Uh, you know, those are the things I like to talk about. And prime power, though, to me, really helps focus in uh, the competitiveness of the race, uh, because that gap, the, 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 the difference between numbers as you rank the horses really is uh, a, a telling indicator of how likely a horse is to win. I tell you another tool I want to talk about is the speed profile that is assigned to each horse. Uh, you know, each horse gets an E or an EP or P or an S. I want to, one thing I was never sure about if a horse is labeled as an EP six, is that considered faster or slower than a horse that has an E three or something like that? You know what I'm talking about? Right. Uh, yeah. So they are, uh, the, the six is faster. Uh, so the, the numerical number, is what you would re rely on to say who's the faster horse out of the gate or who can ex be expected to be faster out of the gate. And then I use the, the letters to that to me is more preferred run style. Uh, so in this case, I would love the EP six because to me that just means he's going to sit right off uh, the E three and hopefully draw off. I mean, obviously that's a very simplified example with two horses, but uh, I definitely use it to kind of get a gauge of how these horses want to run. And, you know, you'll see the loan, if there's a loan E3 and, you know, sometimes you'll see a P5 or a P6, which is even behind the EP uh, run style wise, you would say, well, they're fast enough to go up, but just based on tactics for whatever reason, they don't like to, an E3 can steal it. And to me, that's just, it's so price dependent. 
you know, is the favorite. I hate the E3, but at 20 to one, yeah, maybe you take a shot or maybe you're four or five deep already and you throw that one on because you don't want to get beat by the loney in the race. That to me is like kind of the, the next level of thinking about it. And yeah, we can all see in the PPs that there's one E, but I, I think a lot of people dismiss them when they're long shots. And, you know, those, those are the ones, they only need to win 5% of the time. And with the right jockey on, maybe that's something you, you catch. Like, oh man, Paco on this low knee. Uh, and it always sounds so simple after the fact, but I know I've been, I know I've banged my head enough times when I get beat by it. And then I go look back at the PPs and it, it's just obvious, but until you say it out loud, it's not. Uh, Alan or Brandon, you got any more questions for Ed before we get into, uh, a couple other things? Oh, well, first of all, I want to ask Ed, uh, Mr. Social, he does a great job of the outreach. Unlike probably anybody out there and so i'm just curious how many podcasts have you done this year and how many zoom calls have you taken the, have you taken account i mean in this weird year i mean you've got to set some sort of record do we need to call the people at guinness what is it <laughs> maybe i should keep track I, I gotta say i think there were a few years twin spires worked with with an agency that actually placed me derby week on a bunch of calls and i did there was one year i think i did 48 hits uh, derby week. So I, I would think that'd be tough to top without the help. But, uh, you know, I liken myself to kind of like a, a Ryan Seacrest or back in the Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood Squares day at Joan Rivers that you can just count on to, to take your yeah. spot in the corner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to me, it's, it's important. I, you know, it's, it's part of the job, number one. And, you know, I've, yeah. I've done a few of these and people want to, you know, I'm happy to accept a meal or a small gift, but, you know, I always say, well, Churchill signs my paycheck. This is part of that job. Um, and I enjoy it, too. So I'm, I'm always happy to, to be on. And uh, the other thing is most I find most other people in, enjoy it, too. And there's there's nothing like talking racing with like minded people and, uh, you know, being being a frequent visitor on the podcast circuit certainly uh, scratches that itch. Yeah, that's one of the pleasures we've had with this podcast is getting to know all these people, these wonderful guests, and everybody kind of feels the same. Then we get on and tell their story, and we're more than happy to do that. And it's been a delight for us to have everyone. I, I, we're not we're not just saying that. And so I, I know exactly what you mean there. Uh, switching gears a bit, though, we have to talk about Turfway. You know I love <laughs> Turfway. I yeah, love Turfway. how can you not? You're Mr. Turfway now. Uh, tell us about what we can look forward to out there in the future, what are, what are we going to be expecting from Turfway in the future now that Churchill has it? And I mean, I think a lot of people up there don't really know, but uh, they should know because the place is a moneymaker. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Go ahead, Ed. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> uh, full fields and, you know, long-term uh, the, the new grandstand and, and Racino's going up. So we'll look forward to that when, when the uh, next year's meet starts in 2021. But, you know, for now it's, it's basically the, a mile of Tapita and a paddock, uh, but the racing's been fantastic. I think it's been fair, uh, safe, uh, most importantly. And we'll see what the fields do. You know, once Sam Houston and, and Oakland yeah. open, uh, I'm sure we'll have somewhat of an exodus, but it's impossible to, to deny. I mean, these 12 horse fields, and uh, I, I had a one. They're manageable. They're manageable. They are manageable. And, you know, you can have opinions and, you know, back to something I mentioned, you know, psychologically, you, you got to be willing to lose there because you yes. definitely can't use them all at Turfway. And uh, there's, you know, you, you guys have spoken on it and there's this kind of this odd idea that the, the racing there is impossible. Um, and it can be frustrating because you're dealing with two and three to one favorites instead of four to five favorites. And obviously they're they're not going to win as much when they're two or three to one the, the public is very smart in that way but when when you connect I and mean, there's a pick three the other day i think it was uh you know a two to one and then like a 10 and 12 dollar horse and it paid 300 some dollars uh, and it's just because you know you're dealing with 12 horse fields and i, I think people are scared to single because the the fields are competitive and, and that sort of don't want to lose mentality but if you can sink your your teeth into an opinion at Turfway, uh, it's almost guaranteed to be an overlay because of the field sizes. And uh, if you hook it up with the right horses, you're just shocked at what it pays. 
And uh, it's, it's, I love gambling there for that reason. Tell them, CC, what do I like at Turfway? What, what's my what's my go-to bet at Turfway? What do I like? You know, I well, like you it. like the Superfecta. I mean, that's that's Super that's your that's your, that's your right. That's your overlay at Turfway. Your overlay bet at Turfway, right there. That's mm. that's what. I hope, yeah, uh, pay attention. Those I buy apps. that. Yeah. yeah, and you know, it's again, it's paramutual. And when you think this is, I mean, this is why I always say when you have big fields, the the Super is, you know, I mean, the, the Derby Super is what it is because of the field sizes and you know on a lower scale at Turfway that applies so many people just approach the exotics you know they box horses or, or they key the favorite and that's what everyone does and it's, it's fine to key the favorite if you think it's an overlay but just make sure the the horses around it you know similar to not wanting chalk in every spot you know don't don't get enamored with the fourth choice is is 10 to 1 because it's probably actually seven to two in, in the fourth spot. So right on. Get a little, yeah, get a little creative, you know, flip it around a little bit, whatever. But if you think differently than the public and have a good opinion, you're absolutely right. The, the superfecta still has a lot of opportunity. Yeah, that's that's the key to making money at Turf, in, in my opinion. But what do I know? I'm an old dude. What about you? What about you, Brandon? What do you got for Mr. DeRosa here? Man, I'll tell you, there's a endless amount we can go down any kind of channel it's it's interesting to see churchill do what they're doing at turfway i mean i you're right on the pick three i think i had a pick three for like twelve hundred dollars a couple weeks ago but you know it's come back to get me but that that's my (laughs) best bet at turfway is is the pick three i'd love to play a pick four which i do all the time but it's if i get it home it's great but uh a pick five is a no-no i can't play a pick five there but uh, what that chair. have you heard anything about yeah true uh anything about how the churchill downs like hotel and all that thing is that going to get finished out in 2021 you think or that construction uh, have you heard anything about that i know it's a left field question yeah no i think uh my sense is 2021 definitely not gonna happen Okay. Um, yeah, I uh, just think with the, and this is literally think I have no insider knowledge, um, but just my senses with with the pandemic and Derby City does do well. Um, you know, with that open, that is a nice kind of cushion that they can do it right when it's done at Churchill. Um, so I'm I'm guessing 2022 is is more realistic, but um, you know they they've already gotten the steakhouse in there. Um, which, uh, you know, I'll, I'll plug for sure. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed my meal there. Um, and and the hotel won't be far behind, but, you know, unfortunately with the 2020 we've had still a little uncertainty. I think we're rounding the corner now, especially in Kentucky, but, um, you know, I, it seems 2022 is more the target for the hotel. And not to get too political, but I mean, it's a big deal whether or not this, uh, historic gaming uh, is going to pass or have the amendment. I don't think it's totally done. Uh, I haven't seen anything with the with Churchill outcome, and I think they reprogrammed some of the machines. But I, I, are you are you up to date with some of the historical gaming legislation that's coming through that needs to make the change in order to fulfill the uh, the way the Constitution of Kentucky or just how the laws are written for the state on on that gambling side. Uh, I, I'm definitely pleased that uh, we have a, a good ally in, in Senator Thayer, who uh, he and I, I would say, more often than not, are are disagreeing politically. Uh, but he does represent Kentucky, and uh, he represents his district, but is the 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 Senate Majority Leader. He, he certainly is in a in a good spot for racing and. Right. I appreciate his leadership. I mean, he's taken the the bull by the horns on this, and uh, you know, with with Speaker Osborne, uh, also a, a friend of racing and owner breeder himself as well as Damon is. Uh, I'm definitely optimistic that they figure this out. Uh, you know, is is a transplanted Kentuckian, but certainly a citizen of the Commonwealth. Uh, it, it's it's been disappointing for a while. Uh, you know, the the Puritan approach. Uh, to gambling, um, you know, yeah. I, I forget I forget the guy's name from Eastern Kentucky that they called Blackjack because he would go across the river to play. David, and, David Williams. <laughs> that was David that Williams. Was 
David Williams, yeah, I mean, just, you know, a, a hypocrite, unfortunately, for, for you know, people here who like to gamble, my, myself included. Um, <laughs> but hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll get this sorted out and we'll see what happens with the other stuff, sports betting, et cetera. But uh, at the very least, uh, I'm very optimistic with, with Thayer and Osborne on board that, you know, we'll, we'll get the right resolution. Good. All right, let me... I mean, it, it's quickly coming and it makes people nervous, too, because all the racing could quickly shift if it doesn't happen. So yeah, I mean, no, I mean, we, we have really got to watch it. I mean, I think part of the podcast really became of it because of how strong Kentucky racing was coming back to a, you know, the, the a, really the top notch of, of all of United States racing. So without a doubt, uh, you know, no, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but I'm going to also advocate uh, personally for it. Agreed. And, and even, I mean, myself, I kind of feel the same way where I work. Um, you know, th- there's obviously a lot of opportunity to write about Saratoga and Florida and California racing. And, you know, over the, the last year, especially, I've, I've made a commitment that, you know, I, I want to be the Kentucky guy. And I do expert picks for Churchill and Keeneland and Ellis and, and Turfway. Uh, instead of be bopping around, because I want to, you know, be that guy that commits to to the racing here. And, uh, you know, part of that is, is thinking it's, you know, not only grown the last couple years, but stands a big chance to continue to grow. And uh, so hopefully hopefully the uh, the instant racing fosters that for sure. Well, we're back in there. At least I am for sure. So thank <laughs> you. Of <Good>. course. <laughs> All right, Ed, uh, you're a master handicapper. A bourbon and whiskey connoisseur, poker savant, but, <laughs> but I want your opinion on, uh, I need your opinion on some of the uh, food options in the area. Are you, are you ready to answer a few questions? Yeah, I'm ready. Best wings in Kentucky? Uh, Franklin, uh, Frankfurt Beer Depot was, huh? uh, was number one. I've heard that the pandemic has affected them negatively, so... Um, and I haven't been there since all this started, but, uh, it's fantastic, you know, barbecue type style versus sort of the, the wet wings, uh, almost anyone's familiar with, with like B-dubs and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I love their wings, uh, and, uh, hopefully the, the rumors are untrue, or at least they're able to write the ship when things get back to normal. Yeah. I've been there once. Got- I didn't have the wings though, but, uh, yeah, that's, a, uh, what would be number two? Uh, well, for saying Kentucky, uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Quaker steak and lube as a chain. Um, yeah. that's actually right here. grew up on it. Yeah. Up in, uh, right near Turfway, but yeah. their, their flagship, the original is in Sharon, Pennsylvania, uh, which was about an hour from where I live near Cleveland. And, uh, growing up, that was like the wing joint and, uh, just really fond memories of, of getting, I was the younger of my friends. So when they were able to drive, we, we would we would make the track to Sharon and uh, man they're good and and I think they have not to be like you know the guy that they sold out or anything because they're still good um, but you know you can't go home as they say and and unfortunately they're not quite to what I remember in you know those whimsical youthful days but uh, they have the triple atomic and and when I feel like uh, feeling the pain when I eat that's definitely my go-to win. <laughs> Best local dive bar or restaurant. Just if you just want to slum it. I can answer a few of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I want your guys' take on that too. Dive uh, bar. What? This this I haven't been to in a while, but I definitely always enjoyed going. It's the place. It's across from Molly Malone's. They have a Fall City sign Diamond? in front. The Diamonds? No, it's not it. Maybe it is. I was there a couple. Brownie? Of years ago. Is it brownies? No, Gerstles, Gerstles. No, no, not not Molly Malone, St. Matt's, Bardstown Road, Highlands. Oh, Flanagan's. Uh, no, it's close. O'Shea. Yeah, it's it, it's right. Yeah, it's right next to Flanagan's. I think Molly Malone's is across the street. They have they just had a, a they just had. A, I remember the Fall City sign. It was just one of those places, Derby Week, like you know the the gang from Lexington would stumble into. Uh, Lydia House's ramen is gone, uh, but that, I mean, I, I took anyone who came to, to Louisville, I would say, do you like ramen? And if they said yes, we were there. 
Um, <laughs> Sergio's, I don't, certainly the food is divey and I wouldn't recommend eating oh, yeah. there, but, uh, love going there for beers, uh, you know, trying new things and, um, you know, Sergio's a hooch kind of a mix <laughs> of the soup Nazi and, and your neighborhood bartender, you know, warm up to you. But my yeah. favorite Sergio story is we were in there and it was Derby week. Uh, so NBA playoffs were going on and someone at, and they had inside edition on the TV. And someone, asked, <laughs> someone asked him, Oh, do you mind to put the game on? And he said, this is in the sports bar. And yeah. <laughs> so, he's Brazilian. So he's like, a, he likes soccer and stuff. He likes I mean, yeah, he, the, the football, yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah, Sergio's, which because of the beer selection, maybe it's not divey, but um, it's, it's certainly a, a spot and, you know, it's one of those, everyone knows about it, but it's never crowded. Uh, so I like going there. And uh, finally, uh, so give me your go-to restaurant for a romantic dinner. Valentine's Day is less than two months away now. Uh, That's my wife's would... birthday, too, so you got to deliver for me. All right? Oh, man. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I already plugged it once. I thought Matt Wins as a steakhouse was, was spectacular. I, w- I was actually, even though it's it's at Churchill, it's kind of expecting, expecting more, uh, you know, glitz than, than substance, but man uh they, they did a really nice job uh not everyone's into steak though so uh where else would i say uh you know distill uh i, I forget if that's the name of the hotel or the restaurant yep. but uh the it's new awesome. uh the new marriott uh one of their brands downtown uh there's a restaurant in there that uh i thought was fantastic and uh would definitely uh you know especially if you want to be downtown with with solidly recommend uh yeah th- those are the two i think i've had sort of that you know I- intimate but yet you know still a good meal and just not about the white tablecloth last really thing can, can you recommend a really smooth bourbon <laughs> you know i i think uh this isn't any different but for smoothness i i have never Matt and they they do a bunch of different recipes and they do you know the the small batch and the barrel strength etc. I think for reliably smooth, uh, four four roses delivers every time. Uh, it, it's just never harsh to me. Um, and, and I I actually don't mind. I mean Booker's is my favorite brand and and they're all 120 plus proof. Um, so you know. On, on balance, I'd say I kind of prefer the burn and, and give me that chest punch. Um, but, you know, I think Four Roses is so approachable. And then with the barrel strength, you get the heat, too. Um, so that that to me is, is kind of the just consistently smooth. And I'm probably the biggest bourbon guy on the podcast, I would think. Now, Definitely. Craig Allen, y'all jump in. But I still have the first Four Roses single barrel that went to Japan, and I brought it back to Louisville. So I've been sipping on that all year. Wow. And, and next time we're around or we can get together, you know, with, with COVID and all this stuff still going on, I'd love to share you a, a good shot. Yeah. For, for my house. I, and that's I'd my be bunker. happy to to trade uh, experience there i'll find something too but that that sounds amazing one of the exports yeah it's beautiful it is really good yeah all right i uh, I don't know if you've done the tour there the the story but it it is incredible you know sort of the bourbon rebrand in general but i mean four roses was one of those like it was the low end here always uh you know 20 bucks on the shelf whatever and and they uh, they figured it out, as did Buffalo Trace, et cetera. And uh, it's been great for the economy here. So uh, hey. I'm I'm so glad Churchill has those partnerships because uh, it, it really is a an organic marriage and not one of those you know phony forced things like the Yum Fecta. Hey, hey, Ed. One last thing. I know Craig's about to jump on here, but what do you think about the Louisville Thoroughbred Society? Have you been there? Are you a member? Uh, not a, not a member, but, uh, you know, I do consider Gene a friend and he's, uh, you know, extended, uh, an invitation for, for when I need it. I, I've not been there since it's been open, which obviously that's had some, some stalling with all this going on. Uh, right. but I can't wait to, uh, I guess most of the big days I'm at the track anyway, but, uh, for, right. for a spot for lunch to watch some races and, one thing I actually have never gotten into, even though I, I do enjoy 
tobacco and, and, you know, the occasional cigar with friends, but I know they're kind of touting the, the cigar bar aspect of it as well. Um, I, I think that'll be a, a good place for maybe to, to learn a little bit more about that. And I know plenty of whiskey connoisseurs that love to, to pair a, a pour with, with a smoke. So, um, that's right. Th- that's that's definitely one place I, I feel like I can dip my toe in and get some education. Well, the podcast has a, a corporate membership, and I will allow you to be a guest of our of our <laughs> uh, podcast corporate expense account. So, just all right, I like it. Oh, okay. I'm in. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brandon, you and I need to talk about this uh, corporate expense account. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about that later. But uh, <laughs> All right, guys, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, of course, we've been joined today by uh, Ed DeRosa. We're very, very glad to have him with us. Uh, and uh, we, we look, hopefully, uh, hopefully he'll join us at some point in the future. And we'll, we'll look forward to watching his selections at Turfway Park and then back when Churchill opens uh, in the fall, or excuse me, in the spring. Uh, Ed, uh, thank you for joining us tonight. No, my pleasure. I appreciate you having me and yet yeah, tune into Turfway and uh, I'm always open to criticism. Never done the, the Zoom paddock show thing and uh, would, would love to know whatever horse players think could make it better. So let's put this edition of the Auxiliary Gate podcast to bed right now. Uh, on behalf of Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers and our guest Ed DeRosa, this is CC Broadus reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.